Well, it's a great pleasure to welcome to Yates on Sunday for my profile interview, a man who has been the unrivaled politician of his generation, a man who was first elected to the Dáil in 1977 and has unrivaled record, like um, Margaret Thatcher and Tony Blair, of having three consecutive terms as Taoiseach uh, between 1997 and 2008. A man who's uniquely placed to give insights into Brexit, uh, Northern Ireland, and where the country needs to go in terms of leadership. Bertie Ahern, you're most welcome. Thank to you very Southern. much, Ivan. Let, let's start with Brexit. We now have the triggering of Article 50. We have the response in terms of the opening gambit, whereby Europe have said there's three things they want to sort out. First, in terms of the divorce, the rights of EU citizens in the UK, uh, the uh, situation in relation uh, to uh, Northern Ireland has been uh, specifically mentioned. How do you think things are shake, shaping up? Well, I think we're, we're moving on a few steps now. I think uh, yesterday, uh, obviously, was um, uh, some important ground rules made. But as I read them, there are a few interesting points. It, it Normally in negotiations nowadays... Uh, nothing is agreed until everything is agreed. But that's not the way in this. And I think that's a, a very important factor. Uh, Barnier has uh, brought to yesterday's meeting uh, three simple points uh, that he wanted to deal with three issues, the damaging of past ties or the dismantling of past ties and how they sort that all out, uh, setting goals for future relations and arranging transition terms to avoid unnecessary disruption. They're the three grounds. And, and the sort of money, the, the money issue, and, and the, the 58 billion. And that will all have to come in the first, in the first segment. And his timescale, which now we know, we, we haven't known until yesterday, that the withdrawal will cover from June till the end of the year. Uh, the phase two, which is the future relationships, is January to June of next year. And then uh, the transition is July to October um, of next year and then allowing about a six month period to wrap it all up now I think for uh, some of the issues are straightforward enough um, others are very complicated the British will fight uh, the whatever the, you've heard figures from 10 billion to 60 so the the range of how much the, the, the British government will have to pay um, for leaving uh, God knows what it is but it's not between 10 and 60 that's any figure at all so I don't think it's the figure I think it's how they're going to work that out uh, around pension entitlements and actuarial assessments and budget assessments I don't think the ordinary public will lose any sleep working all that out the the issue about looking after citizens in, in each other's countries uh, European citizens in Britain um, a million or so uh, two million the other way around. Uh, that doesn't seem to me uh, an issue that anyone will go to the stake on. So I, I can't see readily that. agreeable. Yes, I, I, I think again, it, it's. Uh, I mean, who's who's going to get into that? You turn three million people against a lot of them. You know, they're, they're not they're not going to play that game. So, uh, really, uh, I think in the early phases, uh, as I said, or the early phase, there should there be a lot of talk and, and, and a lot of arguing, but. Um, they should be able to agree that. But then when you come down to phase two, setting the goals for the future relationships, uh, that's where you pull in uh, the whole trade issues. And of course, uh, there can be no Brexit uh, if there's not a trade deal. I mean, the whole thing is about trade. 44% uh, of, of the trade 
uh, of Britain going to Europe, sixteen percent the the other way. So here comes the the hard the hard issues, and um, I I honestly believe um, in the British government. I can't blame them for doing it, uh, but I think when Theresa May was walking around the 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 Welsh hills on on Good Friday or Holy Saturday, and she decided for the election, uh, that really what happened it dawned on her that the chance of doing a trade deal uh, in two years uh, and getting it, it all wrapped up and not having the transition uh, period that would bring her uh, up to June 2020 when the next British election was to be, um, she then realised uh, that this this isn't a game that I can can, can wrap up in that period. Because, um, you know, I don't want to personalise things, but if you take Boris as being the guy who seems to keep on saying the same old nonsense in my view, um, that we're going to get loads of trade deals with the BRICS countries and you know China and India in particular, and that this is this is great. It's a bit but, unreal. Yeah, but I mean the the reality, I've been you know for 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 you and I and your listeners, like you're starting off with fifty three agreements in the WTO. Britain today this morning have fifty three uh, free trade agreements with countries around the world. When you start or when you when you leave um, the EU. They're off the table. You're at zero. You're starting again. It's like being deducted 10 points so, so, so could from I, could misbehaviour I, in the premiership. Okay. You know. could, could I summarise your analysis to say that the divorce issues are set out, uh, the money, the EU rights of citizens and all that, will will be, you think, quite readily agreed within the two years, but the trade issues could run on for a long time. Now, it, let's just look at this purely from an Irish perspective. Okay, now you said in your contribution to the Senate that, uh, and this is something that I have been banging on about, which is our entitlement to talk directly to London. My view is we have six hundred years of Anglo-Irish history, culture, everything from Man United to language to Coronation Street to enormous levels of trade to a land border. The idea of allowing Tusk, Juncker and Bernier to be in a room and us not in the room deciding the future of Anglo-Irish relations seems to me preposterous. How far do you think we could get away with bilateral talks and even a memorandum of agreement between Dublin and London? Well, uh, I have a fairly simple view of negotiations and I've spent a lot of my life at it. And as I read, and I think that this is a fair reading of the rules, um, the only ones that can agree things is the EU. It doesn't say that the only one that can negotiate things are the EU. Um, so in, in the English language that I understand that I've negotiated all my life, um, that means that there's nothing against us dealing directly um, uh, with the British on a whole range of issues that affect us. Now, we can't sign off on them except that point. But Barnier has a relatively small office. Um, Juncker isn't the kind of guy that gets into detailed negotiations. I know these guys well. Guy Verhastoff, who is a feisty guy, um, says that he doesn't have a problem with, with, with these things. So for us um, as a country uh, to tease out the issues and present them to the EU will actually be welcome. Now, I've okay. been saying this non-stop no, totally since last summer. Okay, we can't agree them, but like they can take it and they can say, oh no, we don't like so some you, of that. So something like a working paper that would be between position, Ireland and Britain working paper, that would feed paper. into that. Yeah, okay. Exactly. All and, right. and, and I believe they would welcome okay. that. Okay, well let's be very specific. The common travel area. It's there since 1923. Would that be part of a working paper? I, I, I think the three or four that I think are, are, are very important ones, Ivan. 
I think in the in the event that the UK leaves, and we will take it that they definitely will now, uh, the customs union, which is the, is the one that really is causing us most problems, I think will in, as we go on. Uh, you know, the customs and trade arrangement between the two countries, subject to the agreement of the EU. I think we could we could do a position paper of that. Um, the retention of rights of Irish uh, and therefore EU citizenship for the people of Northern Ireland. I think that's that's something we could do in a paper. The maintenance of the right of UK and Irish citizens uh, to reside and work in each other's countries. I think we can work all that out. Uh, the maintenance of uh, the common travel, uh, which you have said, and, and the right of free movement of UK and Irish citizens and jurisdictions. We're just on that. Just on that. Barney, One of the things... Barney doesn't care about okay. how we work that out, well, quite frankly. Well, well, sorry, well, the point being made with the hard Brexit, it is a frontier of the European Union, north-south, and the issue east-west. Like, I've made the point that we have eight times more trade with the mainland of the UK than we have with Northern Ireland. And 80% of all exports, even those going to the UK, go through the land bridge. What do you think will happen to the tens of thousands of lorries in relation to A, the union, and B, common travel? Well, uh, I think let's take take the two issues. Uh, On the border, first of all, uh, Lame has said uh, that, and Lame is is considered the world expert on WTO, uh, Lame was head of WTO and he was head of free trade in the EU. He states that if there's customs union uh, and if there, the, the border um, with the UK and Europe happens to be the border between north and south of this country, that you have to have customs union. He has categorically, unambiguously made that point. So, uh, and he is the expert. Uh, in great respect, it's not the Irish government or the British government. Lame has been at this all his life, and he he states that position. So therefore, there's a problem for us. Now, um, I I think, and, and I, okay, I've I said it maybe a bit tongue in cheek a few times. I continue to say it, but it is it has won some support in 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 British Lords, and it's won support at the the previous governor of the the Bank of England. Uh, why don't you move the customs union border off? That position, it doesn't. It could be absolutely exactly. Just, just leave it be. Now there are some problems, and they'd have to be negotiated. But I think that's what we should have been doing for the, the last 12, 12 months. On the trade side, like if you take through Dover, there's ten and a half thousand trucks go through Dover every day. Ten and a half thousand. At the moment, it works very well. Uh, I've been there a few times. Sure, you have. Uh, it, it, there's good movement because there's very little paperwork and harmonisation. It works very well. of our trade from this country, not going to Britain, 80% of all our trade out of the island of Ireland to the rest of the world goes through that The land bridge, yeah. Yes. And so therefore, even if none of it was going to UK, it's a problem for us. And there's the danger that we could have four four customs checkpoints. Now, are these not things that are hugely important for us to try to work out the detail in advance? They affect the EU... And they affect Britain. And okay. I think the, the niggly niggles of these needs to be worked out. Okay. The other issue, and I want to move on to national issues and so on, but in relation to this weekend, the government have said they've got this great achievement, which is we've had the recognition of the Good Friday Agreement to the point that if in future the unionists decide to relent and go for United Ireland, they'll be automatically uh, in into the EU. I'm thinking to myself, sorry, isn't that 
self-evident the case anyway. Michael McDool and, and Elish, Elish O'Hanlon writing about this today. To use up your political capital for something that's a slam dunk when we've all these trade and complex issues seems to me a waste. It, do you have a different point of view that this is a historic breakthrough? Uh, and, and what's your view on a border poll? Um, I, I, well, I think on the, fir- the first one, um, the fact that all of Europe reiterates that the Good Friday Agreement is an international agreement, well, I, I'd be very disappointed if any of them said it wasn't. Um, but so it's not uh, a big deal. Uh, no, yeah. no, it's, it, it's it's not. And like, it's a fact of life. It's a fact of life be- because okay. the German precedent is there, uh, and nobody could take that away for us. The fact is written down. Have in the we used our political capital? I, I don't. I think don't think so. I mean, I mean to, to be to be honest. Uh, it was a given. It's a non-issue. Uh, no, nobody could. Okay. And the fact it's put up, I'd say, listen, I welcome it, but, you okay. know, let's Well, let's move on then to neatly to Northern Ireland. Yeah. Two, two questions. For you. One, a border poll. And secondly, as a guy who was intimately involved in Northern Ireland and looking at the recent elections and looking at the demographic growth of nationalism and so on, do you think there'll be a United Ireland in your lifetime? Well, I'd love to think there will, but, you know, um, by having a border poll in the short term, uh, would set it back to make sure it's not in my kids' lifetime. Um, uh, the idea of a border poll, let, let's look at the history of this very briefly. It was put there um, when I was conceding Articles 2 and 3 of the Constitution, uh, and we were giving up the territorial right of the North, and, and we wanted to, to copper fasten in that if the day came where on the principle of consent, uh, people... Uh, in in the north uh, of all traditions, uh, voted for a united Ireland. Then uh, it, 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 we, we would we would have uh, uh, we would have an agreement on that. That's what it was for. It was not for some kind of a sectarian vote or the day that the nationalists uh, and republicans could outvote the unionists and loyalists. To do that, if 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 you want, and I I, I say this advisably, if, if you want trouble again in the north, play that game. That it, it is, it is well, a dangerous game. Can I come game. at this from a different direction? If the Tories, which is mostly an English party now, not a Scottish party, not another, said, oh, we got the bright idea of saving 10 billion a year getting out of Europe, why not save another 10 billion a year getting out of Northern Ireland? Could there be a pressure from a united Ireland from the Tories? I don't think so. I, don't, I think it'll, it'll more come from, you know, from... Uh, Republicans playing with, with, with a, a very dangerous game. Um, Would you not take the point? There's nothing in it for the Tories to be in love with Northern Ireland. Well, well, the only the only thing is that they love um, the idea um, th- th- that the empire is still is a little bit bigger than England. Even um, if Scotland falls off the edge. Yeah, well, you know, I mean, then then it'd be getting even smaller. <laughs> They'll have one point eight million left in the empire. No, I, I think I think a Tory party will always, you know, ha- hang on, uh, and they'd still like to call themselves. Um, you know, they they they, they you know, it include Northern Ireland separately on even their letterhead. And how do you so, think the South would feel about picking up that tab? Well, that, if you were to have that vote today, um, the people of the South wouldn't want it. I mean, I, I I've had said said this to reassure um, Northern Unionists and Loyalists several several times because they asked the question, "What is the feeling here?" But it, it's a danger. It's it's a it's a bigger point. I mean, it's it's a dangerous game to play, and the idea. The, the whole spirit of the Good Friday Agreement is to work in peace and harmony in this island to the day that comes where nationalists and republicans will convince freely uh, a proportion of unionists and loyalists 
that a United Ireland is a good evolve? idea. Do you think that um, will evolve? I, I, over over a, a, a long a new period, generation over of a new generation. Okay. but not but not in the short term. Okay. and and you will set it back by forcing it in the short term, okay. which is what some people are I, doing. I want to move on uh, to some national issues. Um, the public sector unions, uh, post Lansdowne Road, which has still got uh, a year to run, are limbering up and have made a claim for 1.6 billion. Um, you said before a new national framework for social partnership in some variation or amendment could be looked at. Micheál Martin has said you had unquestioning faith in pay deal process and social partnership was your greatest mistake, quote unquote. Two points. My point is this. Is it not fair to give a tax cut to all two million workers in the country and improve incomes that way and improve competitiveness rather than just give in to public sector? Given your experience, the good at the time that they, when you were Minister for Labour of negotiating agreements that improved the country's competitiveness and we'll say bad in terms of over-the-top benchmarking, what's your considered view of what should come after the Lansdowne Road deal? A negotiated settlement, because what the, what the great value of um, where we moved in this country from massive strikes, you know, 20% unemployment, uh, lack of investment from abroad, export figures that weren't great at the 70s and 80s, uh, to where we got was certainty. Business wants certainty. Investors want certainty. Um, a huge amount of the foreign direct investment we got into this country, looking things on 20 to 30 year cycles, not the not the dull term cycle. And so what we need is certainty. So I think in any new pay deal, whatever it's called, I mean, they're not going to call it social partnership. We had 21 years of that and you move to something new. But it's the same principle. And I think what you need is um, is negotiated settlement. Why I liked social partnership... Sorry, I beg her against this, because yes. they say one size does not fit all. You have some struggling sectors. Take things like the car industry. They're upset by used car imports. You have sectors doing really well. Dublin going gangbusters. Tech sector, farmer sector. Like, do, do you not take the point that one size fits all um, may benchmark upwards rather than competitiveness? Yeah, yeah but there, there, there was clauses nearly always in, in the various agreements down the years from way, way, way back where people who had an inability to pay could make their case. And I agree with that. I mean, there are some sectors who probably are getting over the recession uh, and will be dragging themselves through it for for a prolonged period. Uh, they can't go out and pay 6% a year. So, so you'd be so, proposing a public and private pay deal? Yeah, I, I think, well, in, in all of the agreements, uh, there were kind of negotiated separately and then put together in an overall framework. Uh, but there always were people in the private sector um, who, who, who could... Uh, opt out if they had to. Okay, in the good days, there wasn't many doing that. But in, in the more difficult days early on, after we did the first programme for national recovery, which was just a pay deal, and then after that, it was, it was, it was tax and pay deals. So it, there's no reason why you can't frame it. But I think the most important thing is that it's negotiated because we're, we're into, a, into a tough line now. We've Brexit on one side. We've the changes uh, in the tax position in America. Which and I think, expectations are out there for... You know, they want to claw back. Yeah, they want to claw back. But that, you know, again, you have to negotiate how much the state can, can give that. We have to be, we have to be okay, careful. OK, let's move on to Fianna Fáil. One of the, the things that you did very well was put coalitions together from as diverse people as Mary Harney and the PDs and the Greens, and you were able to keep the independents on side. If we have another election, and if new politics eventually collapses uh, under, you know, whatever, because it doesn't have a majority, and if Fianna Fáil are the largest party... If you were leader, 
and you're, you're out of it now and you can speak more freely, would you prefer if some sort of power-sharing deal with Fianna Fáil Taoiseach with Fine Gael, uh, which would be more solid than, you know, I'm not saying a grand coalition, but some variation of that, or would you prefer FF Sinn Féin and try and cobble together anyone but Fine Gael? Which way would you go? Because it seems there might be those choices. Yeah, I, I, th- I think if we had an election now, if you look at the polls, that there, there wouldn't be much movement from where we are or where we were um, 18 months ago or or so, so I, I think that it's it's very likely that when we come to an election, I believe early in the new year, I I, I don't see it going much, much beyond its second anniversary. You know, if it gets that far, but let let's say it gets to somewhere next year, and and the polls aren't much different, then you have to look at it. To the best of my knowledge, Fianna Fáil haven't yet made any move, um, on its own ability to negotiate without having, um. Uh, it all going back to an RDS. Personally, I think those decisions should be left with the uh, uh, the same with election and leadership. I, I believe parliamentary parties should make these decisions um, and they should also make the decision on the negotiation strategy. You keep your members informed. But I think the idea uh, of going back um, to like the Labour Party does to a, an Ardeshan or a conference yeah, to, no, it's more manageable yeah well for the people who pay 10 quid or 20 quid to join and then they, they become the, the same of okay. the whole strategy and on so, the next question go right at the road with some deal with Fine Gael or left at the road with some deal well, with Sinn Féin which would you well, prefer well as you know Ivan I was always a bit more on the left I always wanted to do to do a deal with the Labour Party um, but they're may, in may, a phone box may, at the may, moment maybe, maybe that wouldn't help the figures <laughs> so, no, but do you understand as, the as fundamental an, question no, I, I'm I, asking I do no I think it's an interest it, from, from what from what I gauge um, from all of my 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 Fianna Fáil, uh, friends, um, th- there's no there's no feeling about going with with Sinn Féin, whatever. I think more of them would 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 look for a deal of stability with Fine Gael. Even if, if Mary Lou is leader, in. well, that that could change the game. But I mean, that's that's um, I don't I don't think that can just happen where she, Mary Lou comes in and then all of a sudden it changes. I think she would have to be in there for a period. Uh, okay. and, and, and if new politics our... is inherently unstable and if the only government that could be formed was Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil in some form and Fianna Fáil is the largest party, what type of arrangement could you see for a limited period? Um, I think they, they, you, you, it would, the best way of doing that uh, is probably take about six or seven major points where the parties would agree on. And that wouldn't be too difficult to do. But would they both be ministers? Have ministers in a coalition? Oh, I, I, I think ultimately that's the way, that's the way it's going to, to go. I mean, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't believe um, in, in, the, um, in the long term you know, that the, uh, the Fianna Fáil, Fianna Gael, uh, you know, bitter enemies of the past will, okay. will continue indefinitely. Okay, that's futuristic. Okay, now the, the other thing was... Um, I spoke to a Fianna Fáil friend of mine last night who I told him you're coming in and he would have been one of your biggest fans, right? One of your biggest fans. And I said to him, in relation to Bertie's situation, I said, you know, Micheál Martin was proposing his expulsion and then he resigned and now you're going to a lot of Fianna Fáil. I said, what is the story? And I said, actually, if you look at Lehman Brothers and the crash and I went bankrupt and so on, that blaming Bertie for it all. And this guy said to me, hold on a second, that's not what it's about at all. It's a very simple net issue. And they're saying, Mahan said that he had, I don't know the figure and I actually don't care, 200 grand that was more than his salary. Mm. In terms of you have given your life to the party, Mm. like I left politics after 20 years and going business, you've given your entire life to the party. Mm. What's your side of that story? 
Well, do you feel you were badly treated by Fianna Fáil? Uh, of course I do. Of course I do. And, and you know, if, if life is, is, I suppose, in politics, you, sh- you should never be surprised with anything, Ivan. You, you and I have seen enough of it all our life. Um, you know, the, the, the sense of loyalty that used to be the great Sean Lamas word probably vanished uh, far before any of my, my difficulties in it. Um, but, you know, the, the, it, it, for, I think the... The leadership, as they saw it when I got into trouble, well, the easiest thing to do was not have to answer anything. Uh, and then was if they saw the back of me, uh, then that was great. Uh, and just stand over that. You know, it, it, but, but it like was the point is, man, man said that you did not act corruptly, right? Yes. What, but on yes. the other things, what, yes. what's your side to that story? Well, no, beside it, like, I, I factually proved uh, my um, very, the, the top accountants I could find uh, that the income that I received, uh, though it was not very orthodox the way I did it, uh, for the reasons that they all knew and everyone knew, um, that uh, the way I did it showed that I had the income. So the only thing that was in doubt, and they, they, they couldn't show anywhere uh, that I got it in any way um, from, from any other source. So um, it, they, they, they said, in fairness, that I didn't act corruptly in any other way. I had proved my, my, my case. They, they said, well, they, they don't b- believe that case, um, which also meant that they didn't believe about 16 people, witnesses, who went in on old and gave the facts. Um, so, you know, I just beg to differ with them. In my view, they got it wrong. Okay. In their view, I got it wrong. And is there, is, there, is, is there ever a point, and I look back at my own life, yeah. I've been 40 years, where, where I say I actually made a mistake there. Do you have any regrets that you could have handled any aspect of that oh, differently? Sure, listen, of course, listen, made through, through, through my whole life, there's loads of things. Like, if you, if, you were, if you were doing it, if you were doing it again, like, if I hadn't been so busy doing other things, I, I could have kept a far better record. The one thing that I didn't bother doing uh, was my own my own records. I did every everyone else's records. I had about twenty eight thousand files, I think, active that I probably had handled well. Uh, but so, what about a, re- a reconciliation? What about you sit down with Fianna Fall and say, "Look, because a lot of people in the party have a deep affection for you, and yeah. and, and you know, and I maybe, know that about that. I'm, yeah, okay. So, that so, 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 what about sitting down with them and saying, "Look." Uh, because you're 66 now, yeah, like, almost, and, so, and so almost. this is important for your legacy. This mm, is important. Mm, mm. Like, it's not something you can kind of say, ah, it doesn't matter. It kind mm. of does matter mm. if you put your life into Fianna Fáil. No, I, I, I spent you know over 40 years, um, you know, 30, 34 years, uh, an active member, and and uh, many years before that, um, I, I held every man position. and boy, yeah, yeah, from from treasurer to youth officer to. So what about a meeting with Fianna Fáil? To, you know, you, you have contacts there. Well, plenty of con- but my, my own constituency, I remember last year, uh, my own constituency and then people in the media said it was a branch or a common. It wasn't. It was the entire constituency, uh, the Corleadal counter of Dublin Central, uh, voted unanimously uh, to ask the leadership to resolve it and come back. Now, I was very pleased So you were open that. to a meeting? Well, of, co- of course. Listen, if I, if I was a card carrier member tomorrow, uh, I, I'd be happy. In the meantime, I still go on and... Okay. Uh, you know, support it in whatever way I can. A couple of quick questions. Are you a religious man? I am. I am. I, well, I, I'm not a, on the fundamentalist side, but I certainly... Would you go to Mass every week? Players. I would. I okay. Would. And so therefore, and you were, you worked in the matter, I remember yes. that, and you tried to get the National Children's Hospital into the matter. Yeah. And all that. Tell me, what do you make of the latest kind of secular state versus church row? 
Well, I, I'm, I'm not a big uh, supporter of those kind of rows, to be honest with you. I mean, what, what, the only thing intrigues me with this... Uh, if Sorry, do you not get the point if the state's putting up 300 million it's entitled to own it, maybe? Well, well why didn't they just buy the, buy the land? I mean, I, I, I don't get That's it. That's the solution. I mean, if, 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 the, if the state really wanted to have total separation... Um, uh, if if you bought the field, then they would have owned it, the field. You know, for for whatever reason, they didn't want to do that. But I've listened to the master uh, of Hollis Street, who, who seems to be, you know, a very strong and 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 efficient person, and they are totally happy, and um, that in the negotiations that she obviously has been involved in, uh, that they have total independence. So you know, they, they don't see it as as a church. Um, but to be to be honest, I, I don't honestly think that the sisters are going to be out there overlooking uh, gynecologist okay. obstetricians. Okay. Final question: do. Are you content in terms of you know um, everyone has a view on Bertie? Do you have, like given the way it all ended and so on? Do you have a chip on your shoulder? Are you actually? Dead happy. Like, I've actually reached, I'm 57 now, and I'm actually, for the first time, saying, I'm actually very content with life. Oh, I'm very, I, I'm very active in things. I'm involved in conflict resolutions from, from you know, I've been in Basque Country for several years. Um, I'm very involved in the Ukraine issue, involved in a few other ones as well, involved in a few international organisations. And um, I, I do more travel than I really want to do, getting, getting old for the, the long the long halt. Um, but I, I, I get more time to, to support my uh, various uh, teams, uh, Man City and yeah, United, <laughs> United, uh, United, great United, uh, and and my grandkids are getting bigger, so they're playing football now. So, so I can watch them. So I, I'm 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 very happy and very I'm very content. All I want to do is live as long as I can now and stay fit. Bertie Ahern, thank you for being our profile guest today. Up next, Phil Tomo Thompson and Ken Darty.